just a couple of things before we get to the episode. Uh, my game Invino Morte is currently on Kickstarter. It'll be up until the 18th. It's part of the Button Shy campaign for Hero Tech, along with Kintsugi and Nanotech. So you go check that out before November 18th. And we had a couple of technical problems recording this episode. Dan Letzring got cut out for a bit of it, but he does come back at the end. So thanks for bearing with me. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, and today I am joined by Dan Letzring of Ladyman Games, who has been on the show before, Chip Bouvet, designer of Universal Rules Second Wave from Buttonshy Games, who has been on the show before, and Daniel Greck, a Ladyman Games minion, who is new to the show. So, Dan, Chip, and Daniel, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Good to be back. Yep, thanks, Chris, for having me back on again. It's good to be here. It is great to be a newcomer. Thanks for having me. So today we are talking about designing expansions for games, which it's a unique kind of design space because you don't have the full freedom of designing a new game from scratch. But usually you're designing an expansion for your own game, so it's an established IP or system or world or whatever that you're probably very intimate with. So you understand the inner workings, sometimes an expansion adds to it. Sometimes it's just more of the same. There's lots of different ways it can go. Um, some games have been designed and then cut back, and the stuff that was cut back is then brought back in expansion. Other games needed a fix, and the expansion is that fix, and there's expansions that people refuse to play without. There's many ways it can go. Uh, some games are endlessly expandable, like Dominion, and you can get box after box after box, and uh, even when they say they're going to stop, they realize that they could just keep making money so they don't stop. So, Let's just jump right in, and Dan and Daniel, you are working on an expansion now, so why don't we, actually, why don't you all introduce yourselves first? So let's start with uh, Dan Letzring. Hi, all right, so I am Dan Letzring. I am the owner of Letterman Games, which is my publishing company. I've designed a few games that I've published under that company. I've had another game that I designed published by Button Shy. And I also have published some other people's designs under my company as well. They're not all just uh, self-designs that I publish, but I publish other people's games as well. Uh, so some games that I've designed and or published, uh, the games I've designed are Dino Dude Ranch, uh, with, which is the expansion that's coming out that we're going to be talking about tonight. I did some co-designs like Gadgeteers with Michael Kofer and Groves with Stephen Aramini. Uh, my game... Mint Julep was the one that was published by Buttonshy, and I've also uh, published Dirigible Disaster by actually Daniel Greck, who is here tonight. And Daniel, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'm Daniel Greck, as Dan said. Uh, he published my game Dirigible Disaster, um, which I came out last last year, technically, right? That's when I actually printed. Um, I think it was kickstarted two, two years ago? No. My time's all crazy. Anyway, um, I have my own sort of company, Concrete Canoe Games, that we're going to start looking into some small-scale publishing soon. But right now, I'm pretty much a designer. Um, I have some other things in and out in the fire. I do a lot of contests on the Game Crafter. But the big thing that I'm working on right now is uh, Dino Dude Ratch Hatch, uh, Hatchling Expansion uh, that I'm working on with Dan. Uh, and Chip. 
Yep, so my name is Chip Bove, and uh, I've designed a number of games. Uh, two games from Button Shy, uh, Smoke and Mirrors, and Universal Rule. Uh, also Chroma Cubes, uh, which um, should be uh, coming to Kickstarter sometime within the next year. And um, I also run a couple online Twitter games, including uh, a little alliteration and a codenames uh, word bot that's still sort of in beta testing right now. Cool. All right. So let's get into expansions. So Dan and Daniel, why don't you start by giving us a little background on the Hatchlings expansion you're working on now and what... What made you decide to do it? All right, yeah, I'll go first with this one. So basically, I launched Dino Dude Ranch on Kickstarter, I want to say three years ago now. Um, and so it feels like a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I believe it was 2014 or maybe it was 2015. But uh, we we funded the game. It did great. And we actually sold out of Dino Dude Ranch. And it was really a shame. We, we sold out of it actually earlier this year in January because we've been just getting a lot of requests for more. And, um, you know, it's always hard as a smaller publisher trying to decide, do I do another big print order? Is the demand there? Because um, for someone like me, uh, the worst thing that I can be stuck with is games that aren't selling. So, you know, I didn't want to pull the trigger too early on reprinting the game and then getting stuck with many copies, not knowing how many maybe to necessarily order. Um, so I thought the best way to kind of figure this out and gauge interest in the game again would be to um, put an expansion out there. And so um, already before we've even launched, I've decided that this has definitely been the right way to go because the response we've been getting from all the people who've purchased our game already has been like amazingly welcoming and warm and everyone's so excited for it um they always say it's their favorite family game and their their favorite game to play with their kids and they're just you know waiting for more content so so really all the responses we've been getting from people buying our game is what really made it clear that we needed to do the expansion in the first place so it's very much instigated by the community by the fans that they want more and you're going to give it to them that's exactly right yeah we um we just we, we ran out and we just had people emailing us like when are you getting more we want to, you know i played this with so and so and i want to purchase this game and so uh it was really yeah just driven by the uh the demand for it and so we decided that we didn't want to just reprint the game we wanted to have more content to put out with it um so we decided though to keep the the expansion kind of small uh just we didn't want to add too much to it and we wanted to kind of print both uh the smaller expansion and the game itself again that brings up uh, an interesting thing i know that kickstarter has some rules about bringing stuff that already exists to it which from what i hear they're not uniformly enforced and some people get away with just doing a second printing others can get kicked off for seemingly the same thing so sometimes you uh, companies do an expansion partially just so they can have another Kickstarter to do a second print run because they don't have the capital to do it. So it's always a helpful thing to do that. I think that does tie into uh, two of Kickstarter's strengths, um, both being able to gauge the demand for a product um, in a way that, that helps you fund creating that project. Yeah, I agree. And actually, one thing we were very careful to do is to make it clear that this um this next campaign isn't going to be for really the second print run at all so basically i'm going to be doing the the print run for the base game based on everything i've 
done on sales from the original print run. Um, so really for the for the expansion of the campaign, you can only either get the expansion or the expansion in the base game. There's no base game only tier. So um, basically I'm not allowing rewards for just the base game, which kind of cuts out that whole, oh, this is to fund the, the second print run. Also, the goal is really low because the base game is small and inexpensive. I'm not working costs for the, I'm sorry, the expansion um, is, is inexpensive and small. Um, I'm not really working any costs from the base game into the goal. And really the campaign itself is focused on the expansion because I don't want to uh, really fund a print the second print run. I want to fund the expansion and do the print run alongside with it. That's an interesting distinction. It'll be well, it'll be interesting to see how um, how backers react to that because I expect there will be some uh, people that are interested in in getting a printing of the original game and might not be interested in the expansion. So moving away from Kickstarter a little and to the design process. So, I mean, this can be specifically about hatchlings or just games in general, however you want to take it. But what are some of the unique issues in designing an expansion? Like there are certain restrictions. There's a certain level of knowledge you have because people have already played the base game. So you can build off of things that your audience has already said to you. So what are what are some of those things you get to do? Daniel, let's start with you. Uh, well, I'd say especially with this, uh, one of the interesting things, um, and, and I think Dan can also comment more on this, is that uh, when he started discussing the idea in our, our little Slack channel of, hey, I would like to do an expansion for this game, and, and he threw out some initial ideas, um, I think it's tough when it's your game to sit there and say, if you didn't intend an expansion already, sit there and say, well, what is it missing? What can I add in? Because sometimes you get that either rose-colored glasses because you're so happy with the design or uh, you have this thing of, well, I've just been doing it so much, I'm so tired of looking at it, I can't go through. And and I think that was the nice thing about him bringing me in is I got to look at it with some fresher eyes. You know, I got to play it before we had to talk about uh, the expansion. So I got to say, well, wouldn't it be kind of neat if it had a little thing like this or a little thing like that? Um, it's a family game. Um, I, I admittedly uh, don't have any kids, so I, I kind of had a different perspective uh, coming from it of, well, what can we add in that can still be appropriate for, for younger gamers, but at the same time um, help the older gamers along. So uh, I think the original thing that Dan proposed, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, was something along the lines of uh, something with fences and, and rearranging fences and things like that. And uh, we wanted to use little Catan roads as fences, and it just, they didn't fit the board. So it was just out of necessity of that sort of mechanic not, not physically fitting in there because the gap in between the dinosaur tiles was just too small on the, on the board. Um, it eventually came into, well, what about this idea of eggs? And uh, and it kind of blew up from there. It was um, it was overall, it was, it was a neat challenge. There were a lot of little bits and pieces like that. Like, well, what type of pieces can we actually add in? Because uh, we, can't, we can't really change the boards around that start to get too expensive. Like, we could add some dinosaurs in. We could add some other tiles. Do we want to add in new wood bits? Like, what, what are those things that we actually are restricted by? Yeah, and I'll just um, touch on it a little bit, too. So, as Dan said, it's... It's a family game at heart, and so I knew whatever we added had to be interesting enough it was worthwhile to add, but simple enough it wasn't going to either complicate things or um, derail kids' focus or, or, or add too many decisions. And so 
there was really a point in the game where where on your turn you basically have three decisions of things you can buy or do and really there are two purchase options and one card playing option so we decided to add the eggs in which are a third decision process for the purchasing and really what it did was we made the the actual market of how they're purchased pretty straightforward and simple um, but they add enough depth like there's some decisions and impress your luck with it that it really gives adults a lot to think about with planning their strategies how they want to play it but for kids it's really not too much that they can you know they just have an extra option that they can purchase it for we decided going with cute babies would also be really appealing to um, basically families and kids they'd see the babies and want them immediately and maybe even want to purchase them a lot Um, but we knew that that's something that would be appealing to them Um, I knew I, I one criteria was I at least want to add one new adult dinosaur as well just because i mean this whole fun fun part of this game is buying and collecting dinosaurs for your ranch so we have to add at least one new dinosaur so we kind of had a set of criteria of either how the mechanics should be how the game should be played and what we wanted to add in and then we had to kind of obviously fine-tune and optimize that to work with the current system and really just one more thing i want to say about it too is we wanted something that really adds to the game but really doesn't change the integrity of the base game like the game feels the same but it's just a little different than a little more in depth and it's always the struggle you don't want to go too over so chip you know a little bit about harsh restrictions on your game since your original was a wallet game and your expansion was actually split up into nano expansions so what were some of the difficulties of working in such a tight space for your expansion yeah i think one of the one of the interesting things about an expansion is um, is figuring out what people uh, what people expect from it. Um, I don't I don't have the I was trying to look up the exact quote, but I remember um, one of the directors of uh, Back to the Future talking about sequels and saying when people say they want a sequel, what they really want is they want exactly the same movie again, but different. And I feel like that sort of applies to uh, expansions to games as well. Um, whenever you have a game and you say, okay, here's here's an expansion to it, different people are going to have different expectations from that expansion. Uh, so what we did with Universal Rule, uh, as you mentioned, is we broke the expansion into three micro expansions of six cards each. And each of the expansions had its own theme. Uh, so this allowed us to um, <clears throat> this allowed us to create sort of a cohesion for figuring out which cards would go into which of the three expansions. Um, but also let us uh, experiment and explore with some parts of the design um, that we weren't able to fit into the original game. Um, So after the initial universal rule was finished, uh, I had a spreadsheet of, I think, about 70 different planet abilities um, that were still, uh, that didn't make it into the base game. And so one of the things that I really enjoyed working on the expansion was the opportunity to go back to um, some of the ideas that either didn't work or um, somehow didn't fit into the basic game. 
um, and uh, and sort of take another shot at them. And also, almost every time I play the game, um, even you know, even a few months ago when I was doing a demo, I get a new idea for a um, for a planet ability, and you know that all of those go into this spreadsheet that I'm maintaining for. Um, not only for the second wave, but for future expansions of universal rule. So let's let's go more broadly. And what are, in general, like other games you've played or other games you've worked on or know of, um, what are some good things about expansions? Like what are reasons that people should make an expansion? Um, Daniel, let's start with you. I think the, the biggest thing of an expansion is it has to... It has to bring a freshness back to the game. It has to be something that you, you still have the feel of the original, but it could take a game that maybe you've been playing a lot, maybe you're kind of getting tired of the way it goes, or or just, you know, it's, you've been spacing out your plays more so you don't get tired, and it has to be something that brings in a bit of freshness and makes you say, oh, here's, here's a way I was looking at these mechanics that, with just this little twist, it can really expand what it is I can do with the game. Um, I, I'd say... The, the, the example I always end up going to whenever I talk about expansions is looking at, uh, and this is because I, I do know the designer, Core Worlds versus uh, Core Worlds Galactic Orders, um, which is, if you don't know, it's a deck builder game about conquering planets and assembling armies. And in Core Worlds, it's a really, it's a really great, solid deck builder game, but... Once you get to the expansion, it adds in this big thing of having these faction tokens that you can put out that not only potentially give you points at the end of the game, but now also allow you to trade them in for certain abilities, depending on what, uh, you know, galactic sort of faction you're associated with. And, and it adds some new cards and styles, too, that it's just, there's an extra layer to think about, and it, and it gives you that ability to, and the thing that I like most in expansions is the ability to do something that you couldn't do before in a situation where you could do nothing. The idea that maybe there's a thing in the base game that I actually can't do anything this turn and it may feel like a wasted turn. If an expansion can take those small flaws of not being able to do something and give you the ability to do something, like have those faction tokens you can spend or um, uh, Empire's Age of Discovery slash Age of Empires, they have a builder's expansion that uh, the builders now give you an ability to buy things cheaper, gain more points. Like having these extra little things that sort of even out those those areas where there's a lull maybe, um, that, that's really what I want to see in an expansion. Yeah, I think, I think Dan touched on a lot of the good points there, but um, so I think freshness is really important. Like he said, I mean, you brought up Dominion earlier in the conversation and I mean they're big on I mean how many expansions are there how many different cards and you can combine every one in any possible combination you can think of um, so it provides freshness and it also um, you know allows you to build engines differently so although it's the main core game your gameplay each time is going to be a little bit different and the, the engines you're going to be building are going to be different every time but I, I also like to see like a new breath of like excitement something that changes the game a little bit or you know, there might be this card that you're like, oh, I can do this ability now. That's pretty awesome. Or I can do this to my opponent. Or there's, you know, now more interaction between us. Or even something as little like in the um, the Dark Ages expansion, I believe it's the Knights, where everyone is different. I loved that. That was just like an exciting new thing that was added that was, you know, you buy one and there's something different underneath and what's under there. And it's really exciting to see what comes up. And it just adds this level of just happiness and excitement to me and just like what it added something that i really thought was just interesting or different from the core game i think that one of the things about um one of the things about an expansion to a game is that you can build on um 
you could build on elements of the game that players had to sort of ingest and learn from the base game and then you could say okay now you're ready to do something more complex uh, i think the race for the galaxy model um where they you know they released a base game and there were there were things in the base game that were sort of hooks or placeholders for additional cards that would be added later um but the the idea is there's a you have sort of a complexity budget when someone's learning a game um that you only want to uh they can only care about and, and think about a certain number of things and then when you're when you're creating an expansion the audience that you're creating it for uh, has changed because now the audience that you're creating it for is people who already own the base game, know the base game, and are looking for something for added replayability maybe, for freshness, um, for a new uh, vector of different strategies that they can take in approaching the game um, or just to add uh, additional depth to the game. Um, although that that does raise uh, one question of when you have a base game and an expansion, um, is the expansion easily, uh, can the expansion be easily separated from the base game? So in other words, if you were to teach this game to a new player, uh, first of all, would you be able to teach it to them with the expansion mixed in? Or would you want to teach it to them initially as the base game, and then after they have a few plays, say, okay, now let's let's add in the expansion and, and add in some of the more um, you know, complex mechanisms? That's a good point. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that is interesting because I think it varies depending on the game. The first thing I thought of when you were saying teaching it with the expansion was when you look at something like Carcassonne with the river expansion, I actually think it's easier to teach someone who's never played that or other games with the river because the first 10 tiles, which are the river, basically limit your plays into this straight path. And it really cuts a really straightforward path for how things need to be played with those first sets of tiles. And it just gets your game up and running for people new. And then they see how everyone plays those first 10 tiles. And then you can jump into the main game which has the endless options um so i think for something like that it actually works to teach it with that expansion versus without uh, that's interesting because uh i'm not familiar like i haven't played with the river expansion but i know the i know what you're talking about there are certainly some expansions um that you sort of integrate into the base game and you just say okay i'm, I'm always going to play this way uh i think for example in the I think in the second Quarrier set that came out, they introduced a few optional rules. Uh, and I remember learning those rules as part of the base game, even for the expansion, and said, okay, you know, whatever, regardless of which dice and which cards we're using, we're always going to play with these rules because they're really, um, they're almost more like um, fixes uh, in that they give a. Um, well, they give an experience closer to the type of experience that I was looking for, um, which is to say, uh, you know, a more strategic experience. 
that that makes sense and i think kind of like chris said at the very beginning though there's so many different expansions that affect games in different ways either by adding more content fixing gameplay adjusting gameplay adding more variability and so certain ones mesh really well and they're a lot easier to just you know or it's not necessarily easier but it's okay to teach it with the base game as one solid unit or you know if it does add more strategy and depth you might want to just start with the base game like you said to to basically nail down the core concepts with anyone learning it and then you can expand to the expansion after um so yeah i think it can vary greatly depending on which what the game is and what the expansion is intended for when it's added so those are some of the wonderful things about expansions but in some cases games get expansions that maybe never shouldn't add an expansion because the game was perfect and people are just trying to get some money so what are some things to try and avoid when you're making an expansion uh chip let's start with you this time that's um you know what i was thinking about when you uh when you brought this up is the expansion for splendor that came out recently and i was thinking oh you know splendor strikes me as such a um you know, such a balanced and um, almost minimalist design. Uh, and I felt like any addition to that has sort of runs the risk of, um, of overcomplicating a game. Uh, one of the things I heard recently, I think it was on uh, Ludology, uh, Gilhova said something along the lines of um, sometimes removing a good mechanism from a good game results in an even better game. Um, and so with expansions, obviously, one of the things you have to worry about is the opposite of that, um, where you end up either overcomplicating or adding something to an elegant design that's that's not really necessary. Uh, so I think that's one thing to be um, to be concerned about. I think the other would be that different audiences are going to have different expectations of um, of what the expansion should do. Uh, so different people will play and enjoy the game for different reasons. And unless you're releasing sort of a modular expansion, um, it's going to be tricky to, uh, to meet the expectations of all of the different audiences. I disagree. Like you said, um, I think Splendor has almost like a lot of finesse, right? It's streamlined. It's very straightforward. And what's great is once the game gets going and you've built your engine and you've got the, the you know set of cards right in front of you you've already grabbed you just start grabbing cards and it moves and by the end of the game you're moving quick and you because you already have your predetermined kind of plan as to where you're going to go with it um and i, I could say if it's all right um it's very important too that i like the idea uh, that you brought up of uh, mentioning like oh what the audience is looking for because um i i'm looking at my game shelf now and just sort of seeing the games i have and and some of the ones that have expansions that I don't and and splendor as as is brought up uh, is a perfect case of a game that yeah has an expansion that maybe it is a great expansion maybe it plays very well i haven't played it either but i may not personally need it i may look at splendor and say this is the game that i'm going to bring out when xyz people are over and uh it either it's going to hit the table when i'm teaching people new games or as a breather for another one so 
adding in another set of rules and having to reteach people could defeat the purpose of the game in your collection. Um, and one, this is what I'm going to say, it's a, a very popular uh, game currently. Uh, Role Player had a, had a very successful campaign for an expansion, and it looks great, uh, it looks fantastic, but I ended up not backing it because for me, Role Player is a game, I love making characters in RPGs. I will, for fun sometimes when I'm DMing a game, I will flush out these characters that I know won't even be talked to in the campaign because my players will breeze past them. And role player for me is about making the character. And I don't necessarily feel the need to go out and do some of the monster hunting that the that was getting brought up in the expansion. And I know it's going to be a great expansion. I know it's really solid. Uh, Keith did a great job with all that. Um, but I know for me, what I get out of role player is making the characters. So sometimes you get those personal choices that you you have to sit there and say, well, yeah, that expansion could be great, but how how is it going to change this game in my collection? And is it something that I'm never going to want to separate them? Is it something that I'm just going to look at them and say, well, you know what, maybe I don't want to play that one today because that just that little extra bit of complication, I know who's coming over and I know we're not going to get it to the table as readily. Uh, so it's, it's a very interesting to, thing to think about in terms of looking at what you have on your shelf and, and what you want to actually bring to the table. Um, even if it is a great expansion, being able to kind of say sometimes, well, maybe that's not what I needed to be right now. Yeah, all good points. And uh, Chip, you brought up modular expansions. And that's something I wanted to dive into a little more because uh, you can look at things like Viticulture had modular expansions, but then also games like Dominion or Sentinels of the Multiverse, that the game itself is already um, modular. So the expansions themselves just just give you more variety and um smash up also is what i was thinking of where they just keep pumping out more expansions and there's seemingly no end because you can just mix it however you want but how do you guys feel about modular expansions sometimes could they go too far is it just too many pieces is it something you should just make an expansion and that should be added um do you feel there's not enough control for the designer if they make modular expansions or just thoughts on modular expansions, Chip? I think that, um, I mean, first of all, I don't think that there's anything bad I could ever say about Dominion. Um, I'm, I'm just such a huge fan of the game. And actually, uh, even uh, I even played it today over lunch, and I won, which may help contribute to my good feelings of the game. Um, but sometimes you... Sometimes the designer ends up creating not just a game, but a game system. Um, and in particular with, uh, in general with deck building games, but in particular with Dominion, the, um, the, sh the way that each kingdom, um, the set of 10 cards that you're playing with, affects the evaluation of every card within the kingdom um, makes things really interesting where you end up not just being able to evaluate cards in in a vacuum but to be able to say okay for this specific game um, this is a type of strategy that's going to work uh, and there are all sorts of interesting combinations that come up so it really has a it really has a Magic the Gathering environment type of feel where, uh, based on the cards that are laid out, uh, you're going to approach the game differently. Um, 
As far as other modular expansions, uh, one of my favorite games is Alhambra, and I have a few of the sets of modular expansions uh, to that. However, I have to admit that I've only played with, I think, one or two of the expansions. Uh, normally, it's because um, most of the time when I'm playing the game, there's at least one new player at the table, uh, so I feel that they would be best served by um, teaching them the basic game. And I'm still enjoying the, the base game so much that I don't, I don't feel like any, uh, any addition to it is necessary. On the other hand, it's, it's good to know that they're there. I think those are some great, great points. And I think uh, I would say Pandemic is my Alhambra by that regard. I have, I, I got the original box of it. I have the first expansion from the first printing, and then it was gifted uh, the In the Lab expansion. And I could tell you, I've probably had it for at least a year and a half now, and I don't even know if I've opened it up and read the rules yet. Just because when it does come to the table, uh, just like uh, in Chip's example, it's it comes to the table with people that it's either the first expansion's more than enough to to keep everybody going and keep everyone involved. Um, or, you know, there's new people and you're just trying to introduce them to the concept of a co-op game or something like that. And I think Pandemic's an even more interesting case because they have so many spin-off games as well that um, it's kind of almost a little bit of an overflow. Like, oh, why would I get five expansions for the base game when I could get this uh, Cthulhu version or what my new favorite version is, is the, uh, the DICE version, Pandemic the Cure. Um, which uh, has its own expansion too, and and I think I even made a, a a fan expansion that I put up on the Game Crafter recently, which is a which is a fun one. But there's just so much available that you really can't consume it all on a regular basis unless that's the thing you're kind of focused on. If it's okay, maybe talking about Smash Up a little bit more right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've been thinking about Smash Up a lot because it is a game I love and a game I never get to play. Because when you sit down with first-time players, it takes, I don't know, four or five hours for them to read all the cards. <laughs> and it's just horribly slow. But, like, I love the concept. I want to buy all of it. But I know I would absolutely never get it to the table. So what are your thoughts on Smash Up? I, I fall in the same camp as you there. I, I got it once I heard what it was. I said, this is so cool. You can mix and match. And, oh, they're going to make all these, as we've been talking about, modular expansions and whatnot. You can make these cool combinations. But um, I, I think, yeah, there's just there's a lot more text on it. Uh, than, than what I think sometimes we wanted it to be in the beginning of, oh, it, it needs to have that feel of like playing a magic game or a trading card game, but it's just a lot of that text to read through. And uh, I, I think I think it's a case where the modular expansions are both the driving force behind some people getting into it as well as the thing that deters from getting it to the table because I know I've had a couple cases where I've said well we could try this game smash up um, and even if people have played it before once or twice they see all the different roles and it can kind of be a little bit daunting and it puts them in a in a different mind state but I, I agree with you I like I like it when uh, when we can play it with people who've, who've played before and who have some experience and who are ready to kind of try new things out I haven't I haven't played smash up although I'm I think the idea is really um, 
is really interesting. Is there a lot of repetition within, um, you know, within one of the cards, so that within one of the uh, half decks of cards, so that even though you have to read some text and sort of get acclimated to a new idea, is sort of like most of the cards do the same thing, or? So the basic system is the same. You have basically creatures and actions and your the goal is always the same to build up the um whatever they call the bases yeah but basically every half deck has its own theme and its own way it's work it works so while the rules themselves are pretty simple it really is like you have to read every card to learn how that faction works within the rules like I know the the robots are really good at like making a bunch of little robots and overpowering things, and then another faction works completely differently. So if you're used to playing robots, you have to read how the gnomes work because they do all sorts of tricks instead. So it's it really is like you just have to read all the cards for your faction. So new players, it's it just takes forever. It's I don't know. There's no way around it that I can see except getting the same group to play the same factions even like if i hopped into a new faction i'm gonna be slow too even though i know the game so it's i don't know if there's a fix for it it's just it's just a thing are there some factions that are sort of like here's a basic faction that you can use to get going and then here are advanced factions that you can add later um i'd say there's basic enough factions like the I mean, there, there always tends to be at least a card or two that has a tricky implementation of the faction's use. Uh, for, I think it's ninjas are the ones that uh, kill other minions pretty easily, but even then they have some sneaky moves like, oh, you can you can play this one when a base score is to jump on and add points to your, your power level and things like that. So um, I'd, I'd say there are a couple you can get into that are uh, pretty simple overall for people to work with, but... Each one has a certain enough of a twist that may make it a little bit tougher to still get used to some of those more complex cards. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say it's similar to Magic in that way. Like you could play a straightforward creature deck with like dinosaurs and whatevers, but then you can also do things like you said with the ninjas. They have abilities that are much better for comboing and working off of stuff, and those rely heavily on understanding your deck. Yeah. So. There, there's a variety, but I don't think there's anything that really states like this is easy or this is hard. It's just you know what kind of cool theme do you want? And then the downside is when somebody new says, "Oh, I like robots and I like wizards," not realizing that robots put out about a billion minions a turn and wizards get extra actions and things like that, and they're tap laughed because they didn't work because they didn't realize. So that there's a couple combos that can really lengthen the game out. Um, if if you if you aren't careful, I mean, but that stuff comes up a lot more when you're doing uh, specific drafting. If you went out and just randomly gave some people or pre-generated a couple and said, "All right, who wants to try this and who wants to try that?" It probably would go a little smoother in that sense. Yeah, I think that's that's similar to um, with new Dominion sets. They they have here's a recommended layout. I think pre-generated would be the best way to go. Uh, so one of the neat things um, about creating an expansion is the opportunity for the artist to go back and uh, create more artwork for the game. Uh, So I have a, uh, maybe not unique, but an unusual um, insight into this uh, because my wife did all the planet artwork for the original Universal Rule. 
so when I told her that I was going to be designing expansion, uh, and then she had to come up with uh, 18 additional planets uh, to do artwork for. Uh, so she really enjoyed that. And actually expanding on that even further, uh, she is now working on doing uh, setting establishing shots. Uh, so this is looking at a particular area on the planet. Um, and she is working on this for another button shy game that's uh, that'll be coming out later. Uh, this is not a game I designed, but it's set in the same universe. So she is the art direction that she is getting is to create spaces using a similar palette or at least set on a planet that she created earlier so the idea of being able to come back to your artwork and sort of revisit um what you had imagined for the planet but at a at a um at a much closer scale uh is as interesting for an artist as the idea of creating a um, an expansion to a game that you've already created is to a game designer. So I'm sort of drawing and trying to draw a parallel between those two. That's an interesting, uh, interesting thought. But also, kind of along those lines, just the, especially if you have a very um, rich story and rich world for your game, the opportunity to expand that world, to add more characters, more locations, and just bring bring up the the lore of your world. I know um, Near and Far just launched uh, not Near and Far, Red Raven Games just launched their expansion for Near and Far which brings in this whole mining system which I haven't even gotten around to playing Near and Far yet so I've obviously backed the expansion because you know, why wouldn't I? But uh, you can really add a lot to your game world. But we are running short on time especially after all of our technical issues so if each of you just want to give your final thoughts on expansions, maybe some tips on designing them since you've all gone through that. So, uh, Daniel, let's start with you. All right. Uh, well, the, the piece of advice that I got from some more seasoned designers, uh, and this, this is years ago I first got it, was that when you design your game, try to design it a little bit with the expansion in mind. In mind, but um, and that was to make sure that you know anything that needs to be in place for the expansion to work is there in the base game. But I would say keep that in mind, but don't design it to the detriment of the game. Don't take things out of the base game for the purpose of, of making an expansion later, and don't focus so much on having expansions uh, when you haven't even really got the base game fully there yet. I've, I've talked with countless young designers that sit there and say, oh, I have this great idea for a game, and I'm doing this, this, and this, and I'm going to have, like, two expansions. And I said, well, you don't even have one game yet, so why don't you get that game first and then <laughs> then move into the expansions. Good advice. And Dan? And Dan is not currently with us. So, Chip? <laughs> I think that one of the things that I've learned through my experience is not to throw anything away. Um, so this this conveniently works with my sort of pack rat tendencies anyway. Um, but being able to look back at ideas that I tried and um, or ideas that I'd had and needed to sort of put on a shelf for a while um, means that if you are lucky enough to have your game go well 
uh, such an expansion is called for, then you've got sort of a wealth of material to start with. Uh, so that would be um, that would be my advice. Can you hear me, Dan? All right. So, uh, final thoughts and any advice on designing an expansion? Yeah, I guess for me, I guess really the most important thing is figure out what you want the expansion to do. There are so many different things you can do with it, um, whether it's adding more content, changing the gameplay, altering things, or just adding a new look or uh, new exciting feel for the game and so i think the most important thing when you're designing your expansion is to make your list of parameters what you want it to do what you want to add and i guess working on it and refining it from there to make sure it hits the goals that you have for the specific expansion you're making there are a lot of ways you can go with it so make sure you're happy with what you're doing and embrace it and go full speed ahead with it Okay, and that'll do it for this episode. So if you each want to just give some contact info and then any anything coming up, I know you have the um, Hatchlings Kickstarter coming up soon. So this episode will release on November 15th. So, Dan, you want to start? Yeah, uh, first, thanks for having me on here, Chris. It was great talking to you again, and I'm sorry for the microphone issues and the troubles I've been having and cutting in and out. But um, yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, they can find me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at Letiman Games, L-E-T-I-M-A-N-G-A-M-E-S. Um, I'm also uh, accessible by email, contact.lettimangames at gmail.com. And... Yeah, we have our Kickstarter coming up in November. On November 7th, we're launching the Dino Dude Ranch Hatchlings expansion. So if you like uh, family games or you have something fun you want to try, either kids are for a light light filler night. Um, it's like a nice 40-minute uh, quick and fun game that's great for just adults or families. And, um, yeah, I'm always accessible and happy to have people vote for games or design. Or design. You know, no one should ever, should ever hesitate again for having things fun. Okay, and Daniel. Um, as Dan said, uh, and I think with the, this being up on November 15, be right in the throes of things. Starchlings Kickstarter, so it's Kickstarter, so check that out. Um, otherwise, the best places to get a hold of me are uh, concretecanoegames at gmail.com. Uh, you also can follow me on Twitter at C-O-N-C Canoe Games, Conk Canoe Games. Uh, and you can also find me on the Game Crafter forums quite frequently uh, if you're making prototypes or whatever you're doing over there. Uh, I'll help out and... Um, I don't know, just follow us on Twitter and follow me on Twitter and uh, I got some cool things coming up in the near future uh, that hopefully uh, you'll find interesting. Cool. And Chip. So the easiest way to find me is uh, on Twitter. I am at the underscore flying sheep. That's T-H-E, the underscore symbol, F-L-Y-I-N-G-S-H-E-E-P. I don't have anything to plug quite at the moment, uh, but in January, uh, speaking of expansions and sequels, uh, I will be running a Kickstarter in January for season two of A Little Alliteration, uh, which is a word game that I run on Twitter. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Cool. And you can follow me on Twitter at the, um, no, the show at the BG Workshop. You can follow me on Twitter at BlueCubeBGS. You can check out my blog at BlueCubeBoardGames.com. You can check out the show notes at BoardWorkshop.com. Um, and you can also find the 
podcast and some of the blog on the indiegamereport.com. So check all of that out. And I'm also looking for audience questions for future episodes. So if you have any questions you would like to ask the show so we can get some people on and answer them, you can send those to the board game workshop at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. And thank you for coming on, everyone, even though we had quite a few technical problems. Thanks for having me. Makes for fun. <laughs> yeah, thanks again, Chris. Yeah, thanks. This, this, was, this was really good. <laughs>